Welcome back to the New New Englanders. I'm Sarah. And I'm Connor. And we're here to share some of New England's best music, arts, and subcultures with you. But first, let's get into a little bit of news. New news with the New New Englanders. Do you want to get us started, Sarah? Sure. Uh, In New Hampshire, there was this one article that kind of went over a few different stories about how people in New Hampshire are going above and beyond for dogs. There's this one guy in the town of Durham who he lives on the street with the sidewalk and a lot of people walk their dogs there. So he decided he was going to make like a lending library, except instead of books, it's dog treats in a little box. And so people who walk by, you know, can get their dog a dog treat, whatever. Yeah. And then he has a little picture underneath, or he has a little QR code on top where the the people can send in pictures of their dogs to him. And then underneath, he has a little, like, picture that he's edited of the people's dogs into, like, different scenarios. And it's, like, the dog of the week or whatever. So it's, like, happy Thanksgiving. And then the person's dog is in there. And they're edited, like, so poorly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like it's like very much so like word art esque editing, and I love it so much. And I'll we'll have to share some of those. Um, but another one is in the town of Lee, where at the the Lee Library on the outside they have one of those like boards that you see at the top of a trailhead that was empty, and I guess they were going to take it down. But the library was like, no, leave it, because there's there's trails behind the library, which is why it's there. They're like, no, leave it, and they um, turned it into a dog library for sticks so they just have a bunch of sticks on it that the people can give their dogs at the library this is a very nice public service yeah i agree I approve. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one is actually really cool and it's about this app that's similar to like airbnb or something like that called sniff spot it is people who kind of open up land that they have to be used as kind of dog parks. Oh. Yeah. I think that their goal is to make it a little bit less like like an actual, like uh, it's a private dog park essentially for your dog or for a couple dogs or whatever to go and play and, you know, get mental stimulation from the stuff that's there that smells like the other dogs that have been there before, but not necessarily be interacting with other dogs. And I think that's really great for, you know, dogs who might be aggressive with other dogs or what have you and still have like a safe space to run around and be active. So I just thought that that was really cool. And looking at their website, it looks like they have dog water parks, dog hiking trails, dog beaches, dog agility parks, dog fields, and small dog parks. That is a lot of options for dog activities. Yeah, and I don't know if all of them are supposed to be like private ones or if it's also can be used as just like a resource to find these things. Oh, no, there are features designed for private play. Yeah, that's what it says. Rentable by the hour, off-leash options, pricing $5 to $15 per dog per hour. So I think that that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, so check that out if you have a dog. Yeah. So for our next story, we're going to hop up to Maine. And this is the classic Maine news cycle because I can't really see this getting a dedicated article in most places. But here it is. Excitement builds as Maine welcomes its first Costco. What? It's first? That was exactly my reaction because I just couldn't believe that there was a state in the United States of America that has been Costco-less until the year 2023. That's crazy. Yeah. Scarborough, Maine will see the opening of the state's first ever Costco 
on November 17th of 2023. This one article that I found about this is great because it's just these guys interviewing a bunch of senior citizens who are signing up for like an early membership Mm -hmm. in like a tent in just the the middle of the day. So like they're the only ones who have time to be like at the Costco waiting in line to get a membership, you know, uh, way ahead of time. But they're they're like, yeah, I've heard good things. And it's like, of course you've heard good things. It's Costco. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Some of them are like, yeah, no, I mean, I've never been to a Costco, but I've, I I've wonder, heard they're do, pretty good. <laughs> do they have BJ's and Sam's Club there? It's so funny that you mentioned that because Wanda Moore's poses the question. I belong <laughs> to BJ's and Sam's Club, and I want to know if Costco can compete with them. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you... Who in their right mind belongs to multiple of those? Like and then, and then the next line. <laughs> However, Henry Reynolds, who has been a member of both Sam's Club and BJ's, is optimistic. My wife and I have been members at Sam's and BJ's, but when Costco came in, well, we've heard a lot of good feedback about the Costco stores. <laughs> <laughs> These people are members of Sam's Club and BJ's, and they're in line. They're the first in line <laughs> to also be members at Costco. These are some serious grocery shoppers. <laughs> they just love buying in bulk. This is like a passion for them. This is beyond just what a chore is for many. <laughs> I'm so happy that the people of Maine will finally understand what it's like to get a $1.50 hot dog. <laughs> it's been long enough. <laughs> the wait is over. It's their time now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yep. All right, Sarah, what's next? My next story comes out of Massachusetts, and this one is actually really cool. Not necessarily like funny or sweet or anything, but I guess there is a bill set for hearing in Massachusetts to create a four-day work week in the state. I heard about this. Yes, I had not. So it was very cool to read this. And, you know, they interviewed a bunch of people about their experiences with four-day work weeks, like people from Europe. Um, They've done studies of, you know, making a whole company do a four-day work week and studying to see how burnout is affected and all of this stuff. And across the board, it's all positive. They work longer hours, so they're still working 40 hours, but it's only on four days of the week, which personally don't love, but is still better than a five-day work week. You know, even just having the option to do it is huge. Yes, I agree. And she says that it's great because she has one more day of the week that she can spend with her kid um, and she doesn't have to pay for childcare for that day, which is huge. Her pay doesn't get impacted at all. So it's like she's saving money overall. Um, It's not like she's getting paid less and saves that day in childcare. She gets paid the same, but saves that day in childcare, which is huge. So for people who are parents of young children, that is super important. And also just generally, you know, they have less burnout. They are more motivated to go to work and do the work. And I truthfully believe that this is like is possible and would be a good thing for a lot of people, especially people who work in a corporate setting, because a three day weekend, first of all, no one's ever going to say no to that. I don't know any single person that would be unhappy with that. Yeah. You know, there are certain industries where maybe it wouldn't quite be as possible. Obviously, you know fast food industries and stuff like that that is totally different but talking about like office work 
and corporate work. I definitely think that it is possible and it is needed. And, you know, people are experiencing a lot of burnout these days. These companies in Europe that did it have said that they've seen, you know, production go up or their employees seem to be working harder and better uh, and they don't see themselves ever going back to a five day work week. I definitely think that it's possible. And I think that if this happens in Massachusetts, it'll kind of pave the way. Um, I guess also in Maryland, there was a bill introduced in January, but it's now November. So I don't think that it passed, but, you know, it could come back next year for all we know. Um, and I guess in New York and California, the U.S. Congress proposed that anyone working more than 32 hours a week should be paid overtime, which, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a interesting thing to propose because the 40 hour week work week has always been the standard. So that would be, you know, completely changing that standard, which I mean, I guess I'm not against, <laughs> but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a big change to just like the structure of our lives as it has existed, at least for I mean, all living people's lifetimes at this literally point, right? yeah no one is older than the 40 hour five day work week but yeah if all of like the data points towards this being good for everyone like good for workers and better for these businesses it'd be insane to not go ahead with it right like <laughs> yeah i don't know the fact that we have like europe as like a test case for the idea and they've had success with it it's about time. It would be really cool to see Massachusetts or any state in New England be some of the forerunners of the idea. I would love if Connecticut could do it. <laughs> it would be great. I would love it as well. Who isn't refreshed by a three-day weekend, even when there's just like one in a month? Yeah. I think that the one thing that poses concern probably from other people just to be like a devil's advocate in the situation is people who work in the medical field maybe... Or, you know, like I said, other industries where that wouldn't necessarily, you know, retail, for instance, these people might be, you know, when you're hourly, how does that impact your pay? Obviously, if you're working less hours, you're going to get paid less. So this would only apply to salaried employees, which then, you know, could lead to some loopholes that businesses might do to pay employees less. I don't know. I feel like there's like, a lot of ways that things could go wrong here or that working class people can then be like against each other. But I don't know. I think that it overall is a very positive and good idea. Yeah. But I definitely could see there being like risks down the line of lashback. You know, what I feel would probably happen is the minute there's enough companies that are offering the four day work week, there'll be so much desire and competition to be working for those companies that a lot more companies will be forced to adopt it that's true just to be competitive in like the hiring market obviously understandable like i would if i knew that there was a company out there that would accommodate that i would, I would yeah. probably want to work there and i guess now that i now that i think about it a little more too you know companies can work on kind of a shifting schedule base so you know like half the company works monday to thursday the other half works tuesday to friday so that there is always people working on every day of the business week yeah exactly but maybe not everyone on each day or whatever yeah. or somebody might want a wednesday off or something that might be weird i don't think i would ever do that personally i could see doing that honestly because then it's okay so i, I kind of have like a weird theory about this where what I feel like is if the minute you add a floater day, like another weekend day, yeah, 
all you're doing is changing the number of like Sundays and Fridays in your week. For example, if you Wednesday is a day off, then your week is like Monday, Friday, Sunday, Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sure. What I'm implying here is that any weekend day where you have work the next day is a Sunday. Right. Any work day that is before a day off is a Friday. Right. I, I just feel like if I, personally, if I were to put that in the middle of the week, I would be less productive on the day following. I get that. But at the same time, if you really care about like maintaining like that, having three days off a week, hmm. you're probably pretty motivated to like get everything done that you have to. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I feel like that also plays into this too. It's not just like no burnout, but it's like I feel more motivated to get the stuff done within the time that I am given. Yeah. You know, rather than like, oh, I can wait to do this tomorrow. Exactly. Or whatever. Exactly. I don't know. I think it's a great idea. Also, any jobs that it's like retail work or anything, if four days a week is hard for them, honestly, it seems like the answer is hiring more people. I don't know. I, I think there's a way that this can like work beautifully for everybody. I don't know if I agree with the anyone, you know, working over 32 hours needs to get paid overtime just because I could see businesses being like, well, we're just not going to schedule people for that. And so people who are working hourly don't get general 40 hour a week pay that they would have previously. You know what I mean? If they were hourly full time employee at, say, a coffee shop and they worked 40 hours a week every week and they got paid that much. But instead, if it turned into you get overtime once you work over 32 hours, well, then your company might stop scheduling you for 40 hours. I see concern there. Yeah, there's definitely kinks that would have to be ironed out. There's yeah, for sure. Certainly. It would be a huge transition because, I mean, this would be like the most significant update to the typical nine to five in like a hundred years. Easy. Yeah. Like, yeah. This would be huge. My real question is, which is better? Like, what is the ratio of Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays that makes for the optimal week? Would it be something crazy like a Thursday off? No, I could never do that. That I would get no work done on the Friday. I would get no work done would, on the Friday. <laughs> it would be a week where it's a Monday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> and then a Sunday, and then a Monday, Friday, and then a Saturday, Sunday, which would be absolutely unhinged. I feel like the classic, right, is just having Friday off and then your week is Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. I would either do the Fridays off or I would do the month. If I was able to change it regularly, that would be cool. But I doubt that that would be the case. Yeah. I feel like most companies would instill like a, this is the set schedule. And I feel like I would prefer Fridays, but Mondays would be fine too. I mean, I don't care. They're both a three day weekend. Let's just do it though. Let's just go ahead and do this. Let's fast track it. The one thing I do miss about like having in a regular schedule, like in college or like working retail is being able to go to stores during the day, during the week. Yes. Like I miss that so much because now it's like the only times I can go to the store is after I get out of the work or on the weekend, which is when the majority of other people are also it there. It is insane that we as a country all have to do our grocery shopping on Sunday. Who came up with this idea? <laughs> it's awful. It sucks. I don't. I went I went grocery shopping today after work. Well, yeah, exactly. Because I had to. You end up with a situation where it's better to do that 
like at the end of a work day when you're like tired or something because you know that Sunday is insanity. It's just yeah. hellish yeah. to be in like a stop and shop. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's kind of crazy at any time of the day now, anywhere you go, unless you're going like really early in the morning or really late at night, which I like doing both of those as well. I do love the late night stop and shop run. Dude, going to stop and shop like 30 minutes before they close Obviously, the employees are pissed at you for being in there. <laughs> I mean, most of them are just like stocking and doing their own thing. They don't even care because it's like the self-checkout anyways. Exactly. And I'm in and out of there so fast. Yeah. Anyway. The theme of this episode is groceries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, let's, jump, let's jump to Vermont. Essex Junction, Vermont recently hosted a gathering. And this would be the second annual Vermont Steampunk Expo at the Champlain Valley Expo. So uh, November 11th through November 12th of this month was the Vermont Steampunk Expo. I haven't seen much information about it, but I watched a video walkthrough and it looked like a pretty interesting event. Everybody there was dressed in, in just their best steampunk getup. Like everybody had like pea coats and goggles and top hats. Right, right. And there were all sorts of vendors showing off like handmade sculptures in the style of steampunk. I saw some pretty cool stuff actually. Not not exactly my taste or something I would want in my house, <laughs> but like a wooden banister with like a dismantled chandelier that has now been turned into like a steampunk dragonfly. Just it, it, some genuinely cool stuff. I can't say that me personally, I'm like a huge steampunk enjoyer. I probably liked Bioshock like a, a normal amount, like a decade ago, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they seem like they, they've been like in, in steampunk mode for a while and they seem great at it that like stuff seems expensive like the people who like have the crazy get-ups oh yeah like it's all like handcrafted custom-made shit it's like a hyper niche cosplay sort of environment yeah i mean any cosplay can be very expensive but i feel like steampunk is especially there's a dude with some sort of sculpture of like a metal horse made of like scrap metal it's cosplay, but also welding is involved. So you know <laughs> it's racking up a bill. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, like, some of the stuff that they make. It's just, like, cool craftsmanship. Same here. Not something I would want in my house. It's not my thing. Like, it's it's kind of like the style of, like, the weird, like, yard ornament that your uncle has. Yeah, I but would say it's cool. this is definitely some like weird uncle core, but you know, everybody's <laughs> got to have a weird uncle and or be a weird uncle. So this is this is a fact. Just all props to them, and especially just you have to you have to co-sign the execution. Like I'm looking through these pictures, and th- there's some very talented individuals who are crafters of steampunk wares and uh, very passionate about this stuff. So. Good for them. It must smell. It must smell crazy in there. <laughs> just, just like oil and <laughs> machine grease and sweat. <laughs> sweat. Everyone's sweating under their their pea coats. Well, you know, I think we have to get out there next year, November 9th and tenth of twenty twenty four, 
to the third annual Vermont Steampunk Expo. We'll, we'll have something to report back. I'm going to put it in my calendar now. I'm going to put my put it in my calendar and I'm going to see it next year and be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what are the dates? November 9 and 10 of 2024. Steampunk Expo, <laughs> Vermont. Like, I'm going to text you. What the hell is 2023, like, <laughs> Sarah? <laughs> getting involved in. Okay, it's in my calendar. Nice. <laughs> so our last piece of news is uh, very dear to us in the TNNE family. I'm qualifying this as Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts news. <laughs> this specifically has to do with our friend Liam, who was in the last episode. And it is simply that Liam... And his significant other, Cassie, have gotten engaged. Woo! Yeah. Woo! To be betrothed in the future. But uh yeah, Liam Liam was a Rhode Island native. Cassie's from New Hampshire. They both live in Boston. So this is a beautiful New England marriage to be. <laughs> <laughs> We are both very happy for them. I saw the post yesterday and I literally like screamed at my phone and I ran to our group chat with Liam and I was like, Liam, what the fuck? <laughs> Congratulations. Um, and he was, he literally just replied saying, oh yeah. <laughs> classic. Um, yeah. classic Liam. Congratulations, Liam and Cassie from the new New Englanders. We, we wish you absolutely the best. So that's all we have for this week for the news. And now it's time to head over to the TNNE hotline for a very special interview. So this week we are talking to a near and dear friend to me, Samuel Nazaretian, also known as Sam Naz. He is the front person of the band Cheem. He is the front person of the band Five Ever. He is in a multitude of other projects as well, those being probably the two prominent and this week he is putting out a solo record and it is pretty good. Uh, he sent it to both me and Connor. I listened to it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Me as well. And we're super happy to have him on the show. Yeah. So let's just hop onto the TNNE hotline and see what he's got to say. You are now on the new New Englanders hotline. Hey, Sam, thank you for joining us this week. Hey, what's up? Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah. How about you let the audience, our listeners, know a little bit about yourself, when and where you got started, introduce yourself, and what you do. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is Sam, and I am a musician, singer, songwriter. I grew up in the greater Boston area. Shout out to the Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, I actually was <laughs> born... 
in the same city where Dunkin' Donuts started. Shout out Quincy, Massachusetts. Shout out to the Quincy Hospital. Like I mentioned previously, I am a singer-songwriter who has been making music in the New England area for the past 10 years, probably uh, now. Maybe like a little less, in like nine or eight years. And uh, I started off with this band called Cheem. And since then, I've played in other New England bands, such as the Boston band Bowling Shoes, the Boston band Five Ever. And I am starting my solo project under my own name. All of those projects are, I would say, vastly different from each other. So I'm very excited to talk to you about any of them that you want to hear about or also my solo project, which is coming out soon from when we're recording this and I think we'll be out the time this drops. Yeah, so we're hoping to release the episode a little bit ahead of your EP coming out, which comes out next Friday, November 17th. Super stoked for that. You actually sent it to us to listen to a little exclusive link. Yes. Um, And it rocks. I know that Connor had a few questions about, you know, your involvement with other projects and stuff. Yeah, I I do. Honestly, I think my big question as you're a member of Cheem, Five Ever, Bowling Shoes, you have plenty of other projects and collaborations, and now you're like setting out with your first solo release. How do you stay on top of everything? (laughs) You must be like the hardest working front person in New England. How, how do you keep on top of so many different projects all at once? Uh, that's very kind of you to say. Um, and that's also, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I would, I guess it's passion. It's just, you know, I'm always thinking about music. And a huge theme of this upcoming EP, it's all, it's called, it's all about me. And I, I think a lot of a lot of my thought of creating and crafting art is is that in mind where it's like I am making music for myself because I want to make music that I uh, want to hear, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of people often find themselves getting potentially, I like to say, lost in the sauce because they're they're always trying their very best to do something unique and uh, something that will make them stick out from other people. Where in my experience as an artist, uh, staying true to myself and just expressing the person that or the artist that I am has in the past brought me the, the most satisfaction. So yeah, this is a very selfish release. You know, there could only be 12 people that listen to it. There could be a hundred thousand people that listen to it, or there could just be me listening to it, and I will be I will be happy with the results. And with my other projects in the past, I've found myself worrying more about like, oh, like listeners and like what if they don't like the direction we're going, where it's and in this at least it's like, no, nah, this is like just music that I want to hear and stuff that I wanna say. So I think that's really important for an artist to convey because what makes you inspired to make art? Like what in your life makes you want to go ahead and create something? So that's, it's a lot, a lot of a self-reflection. Hell yeah. I I think that a a lot of people wish that they could 
you know, say the same thing about things that they release. I mean, you even said like with a lot of your other projects, you, you know, worry about like, oh, well, our fans like the direction we're going in. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with that like mentality, especially now with just like the way that streaming works and social media works and plays in a role in music and promotion and success. So it's really cool to hear that you're like someone who's just like, I'm doing this for me. To hear you say it's a selfish release, like might sound negative, but it's like totally not at all. Yeah, that's kind of hard to, you know, try to even say, because I think this world, everyone doesn't want to be described as a narcissist or a selfish person, where sometimes you do so many selfless acts that to the point that you don't, you know, feel like anyone has your back. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that is something that I felt in the past. And I don't know, I I had a point where I wanted to just be me and make the music that I want to hear. And I think that has resulted in a lot of my, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like I have an ego, but I do feel like (laughs) maybe my, my, at least myself and some of the projects that I'm in, such as Cheem has stuck out in the New England regional music scene because, you know, we've, we've always tried to, to stay true to what we want to make rather than what is like the, the hot thing in the area, Um, which I've, I've seen that happen constantly throughout the years. And what's impressed every musician in New England that's impressed me has been someone that breaks away from what they think is cool in the moment and does something that really stays true to themselves. And you know, that, that genre of music can be what stays true to the, uh, that artist that might fall into like a trendy genre. But I think you could really tell when those bands or artists exist because they're so true to the craft and the music that they're making that genres aside, like it's impressive. So yeah. I wanted to give a shout out to a band actually. Go uh, that for I it. saw I saw them live in Providence at Fet Music Hall. Uh, and they're called Catalyst. They make like scrams. Oh, yeah. Um and I understand that that genre is getting kind of popular on TikTok, and a lot of scrams bands are popping up. But is it really? Say, That's crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> like scrams is getting huge. Like there's so many scrams bands. As someone who has no idea what that genre is, could you give me like a crash course? Yeah. <laughs> is it scrams? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's just kind of like modern screamo inspired by a lot of the. I mean, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm gonna butcher this because i'm not too connected to the scram scene but a lot of, or at least what i've gathered is that it's very influenced by uh 90s to early 2000s screamo um one big influence in the scene that is actually from connecticut is uh, the band jerome's dream yeah jerome's um, dream then there's also page 99 i hate myself which i guess yeah. like now <laughs> that you're you're saying that that's the name of a band, but also, you know, relevant. Sarah, no. <laughs> um, I love you. <laughs> but it, it actually, like, now that you're saying that that it's, like, becoming trendy again, I guess I am seeing, you know, more people talking about these bands, but that also might just be in my own circles of people who already liked those bands. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I could definitely I, see it, like, getting big, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, and same Sarah, because I, I kind of grew up in the emo, the Midwest emo music scene and scram screamo has just always been somewhat connected to it. 
a part of it. Everyone that listens to that genre also listens to Scram. So I don't know. I've, yeah. I've always been, I've just always been in the know of the genre. It's not my favorite, but I do like me some Scrams. Um, <laughs> and Catalyst from Providence, Rhode Island, really rocked my socks off when I saw them. So hell yeah. Shouts out to out. them. I wanted to ask you a little bit about how your sound has changed over time because I know that this is your first like big release in terms of like an EP or whatever, but you've released music under your own name for years. I mean, we used to live together. You were doing it then. Yes. Um, I just wanted, you know, how did you find where you are now and what genre do you consider this project to be if you would put it in a box? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so, yes, it, the rumors are true. Sarah and I did used to live together. We shared we a room. <laughs> we shared a room. Um, so Sarah knows me better than a lot of people. And <laughs> <laughs> that was a very... I, I cherished that time so much. I feel like we were great roommates. We were like... I, I miss it, but there's also like... I'm like, okay, I'm in like a much better place now. But I was also... Oh, me too. Yeah, I was also a freshman in college, so it was like okay to be, you know, the way that we were. Yeah, I think our rooms were as like our parts of the room were as much messy as each other. So like our our messes kind of like <laughs> turned into one like, you know. Yeah, just... we just we just lived in our own filth and like <laughs> dealt with it, and we're like okay with it. Yeah, but I'm better now. I'm sitting in my new room, and it's it's as clean as it can be. Yeah, no, like I'm comparatively to them like i like never did laundry i was just like i was a mess and like i look at my life now and i'm like wow i i like i do my dishes and i like doing <laughs> my dishes you know i know <laughs> in my last place that i i literally just moved out of uh, six days ago it was coin op laundry and Oof. having my own laundry now has made me appreciate it so much yeah Anyway, uh, oh yeah, back um, to the the last the question, question. But the question was, yeah, how do you find yourself where you are now? What genre do you consider this project to be? Um, so a lot of trial and error, and I know it's it's funny how like the biggest meaning of the the re- release is like being selfish and understanding how that is okay to be at times. Where in the past I just kept going back and forth with the music that I wanted to make as a solo musician. And also as a learning experience as an audio engineer, which is what I studied at the Hart School in Hartford, Connecticut. Where we all went. I want. <laughs> yes, we did go there. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to make something that I can go back to and say, this sounds really good. And I, I think a lot of the, what I made before this is good, but I can just go back to this release and say, wow, this is this is something that I actually like find myself listening to a lot. I actually, so this isn't my first EP, but it is kind of like a debut as a solo artist that, cause I'm like trying to push it more. But back in 2018, I had a EP called in your head, which oh, is that's right. Yeah. It was a three song thing of more folky Midwest emo songs that I wrote throughout college. And I actually, I actually go back to that one sometimes. and like, these were these were really well crafted songs, and at the time, it was who I was as an artist, and I'm I'm still pretty proud of those. But this is like the the next step. It's way more influenced with electronic music. I'd say like the first song 
has like a garage type beat. Yeah. Is, I will say uh, that they're all like pretty catchy and I think that the production on it is really good and I could see why, you know, you're like, I wanted it to be something that I could look back. I mean, that's what anyone wants out of a project, I guess. Something to look back on and really be proud of. But I think that you should be because this sounds really good. Thank you. Yeah. And that's it's so much harder doing that on your own, which is why it took me so long to kind of like make song. I, I think I made two or three albums worth of music on my own between 2018 and now. And yeah. um, <laughs> I, I kept going back to them. Like, I don't know. It almost feels like when you try to fix something so much, you it just becomes stale. And yeah. I think a lot of the music just kind of went that direction. So I was like, okay, let's, let's start over. Let's try again. Okay, okay, this isn't working. Let's start over. What was working in the last thing? What yeah. what's work? What do, what could be better? So yeah, like I mentioned, it's a lot of trial and error getting to the direction that I am now, and it's still is still very true to the music that I listen to and the music that inspires me. So if I had to say what genre, I would say it's it's uh, I guess you know indie pop, but also influences between hyper pop, uh, hexy some very small influences like IDM and a lot of like early 2000s pop music. And also, also, also it's pretty emo, which is funny. Yeah. The last yeah. thing was pretty emo this one. And, uh, with my other band, Sheem, we always try to like ban the like emo term where in this thing, <laughs> I, I allow, I welcome anyone calling it emo, not in the Midwest emo way, more in the, the hello. Goodbye. <laughs> realm of emo yeah speaking of which what were some names or some artists that might have been big influences for this ep for the most recent songs that you've been making um that's a great question um like during covid i had somewhat of a i wouldn't i don't want to say a reawakening but like a, a more of a deeper dive to electronic music a lot of like euro pop like happy hardcore shots a scooter but another what probably one of the biggest influences on this ep is the uh, artist image and heap and her two-piece collective called fro fro that album that she made details that is a 10 out of 10 record for me and extremely inspired this tape another one is uh, ag cook who is the founder of pc music his music has inspired me so much throughout the years and i wish i could be as hands-on with synthesizers as he is i would also include hello goodbye like i said <laughs> earlier hello goodbye is probably one of my favorite artists of all time and oh, I, yeah. I always kind of forget i always forget how much he inspires me and then i listen to his music and i'm like wow <laughs> this this reeks me this reeks sam naz this is where i came from <laughs> yeah and if I had to give one more shout out, I'd probably say Daft Punk, just because like it's a classic, like early two thousands. Or I mean, like, you know, they've they've done a lot of a lot of hits, but specifically Discovery is one of my favorite records of all time. And very cool. Um, I just love, I just love music that I don't, I don't know. I feel like with Cheem and uh, Five Ever, like we always kind of stick to like the aggressive sides of music where in like, 
a lot of like dance music and house music and any sort of pop. It's like always kind of sticking to that one loop and kind mm-hmm. of like progressing throughout the loop. And a lot of those songs on this EP are that where it's like the emphasis is one phrase or one lick and seeing how much we can grow or take away from that lick and yeah. make a whole composition with it. Yeah. I'm noticing that one trend between some of the artists that you listed they're kind of in that clump of like y2k artists that maybe there's a revival around that's happening currently would you say that there's some of that in this project uh yeah yeah i i would i would say so and maybe that is thanks to spotify the the lords of music taste (laughs) where if something is trending it will feed it to you and I found so much random stuff through Spotify just because I work a, a job where I can listen to music all day. So I'll just like kind of go through holes of trying to discover new things and listen to stuff. And I always find myself on Spotify. <laughs> I try not to listen to like specific playlists that Spotify provides, but you know, like say I listen to Fro Fro, I'll probably get a Daft Punk singer right after it because yeah, yeah. they're from the same area and then maybe like a postal service song or maybe like Regina yeah, I think, Spector. I think I definitely think Spotify, you know, and I mean any streaming service influences, you know, what we listen to heavily because of the algorithms that they create. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned before, you know, making music for yourself that might fall into like some sort of trend, which like is, you know, possible. We're we're constantly being hammered down with trends and different types of music because of just whatever we listen to. Like, I don't know, Spotify will randomly push random songs on you. It happens with Pavement all the time, for example, where like their B-side gets to be their number one hit for some reason because Spotify just pushed it on people. That's also TikTok is playing such a huge role in that. Like just the yeah. strangest songs becoming like huge in their algorithm. Like the fact that Aphex Twin is a very popular <laughs> artist as far as like background music on TikTok. Who absurd. I also love. I love Aphex Twin. Shout out Aphex Twin. But yeah. It, it is weird. I don't know. And it, it's, it obviously influences everything that happens. But like calling back to what we were talking about earlier, there's definitely people who do it because they actually find the calling in that music or do it because they're trying to fit in with the trend. And I think sometimes it is easy to spot those people that are trying to just fit in with the trend. Oh, yeah. And like they blow up or whatever because they're doing the trendy thing. And then it like becomes like monumentally clear that this is not like, I don't know, a genuine. It might be like, you know, they might think that it's a genuine thing, but they're kind of just doing it for the clout. I think that we see that a lot, especially now with like TikTok and social media just being like the way that people make their money or whatever. You know what is a way where you can tell that someone is genuine for the craft is mm. if they are trying to like perform live in their local area and like go and be active in the the music scene that they're they're local yeah. to. Which I will have to thank the New England scene for introducing me to so many cool artists throughout the years and meeting some of my closest friends through it. Yeah, Shout I mean, out like, to New in England. That, in that vein what is like your brief New England history? Um, I know that you, before, you know, you said that you grew up in, you were born in Quincy, home of Dunkin' Donuts. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what's your brief New England history? Where was your favorite place to live? And, you know, tell, tell us. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've been pretty active in multiple states in New England regions, music scenes. Um, I started uh, in the greater Boston area, so I was pretty active in the Boston scene. I mean, I, I don't know. You're not really like in a music scene as a kid, unless you know the cool <laughs> people. But yeah, uh, I did make music as a kid, and I collaborated with people in my my school, and I went to shows in this place in I think it was Pawtucket, Rhode Island, <laughs> called the Firehouse, and I went to U-Heart, and that's where I got really connected to the punk scene because Hartford, Connecticut had so many up and coming bands at like the same time around it. Yeah. Especially when I was a freshman, there was house shows going on every, every other night. And I didn't really know how else to make friends. And mm. except for, you know, my love for music, going to house shows was as a, as in a college were like probably the fondest memories I had of college. I really don't care about the education part. I care about the <laughs> the like music discovery part and the cool people that I just met through music, which is how I actually met Sarah. Because <laughs> when I first started playing in Cheem, she booked like the second show for us. Wow. I think yes. it was the second. Second or third show. Sarah yeah. was just a youngin' at the time. That was I mean, that was also like my first show I ever booked. Yeah. And I it was, was like in fifteen. It was in a, a condo. Yeah, in the basement of a condo. <laughs> and and it was literally like a 50 Yeah, it was a 55 and older like condo community. <laughs> that my friend lived in because their grandmother, I believe, like owned it but had either just moved out or passed away. I don't remember exactly. So like they were living there with their dad at the time. So they were oh, like, yeah. you could have a show like in the basement here and the cops never got called. So that was like, no, cool. you made a, you made a meme cake. I did. I don't you, even remember. Yeah, that. you did. That you show? made a meme cake. Yeah. I thought it was really funny. I forgot what it was, but I was like, this is so crazy. Oh, I feel like it's like coming back to me now that you said that. I don't fully <laughs> yeah. really remember that though. I don't know. So much happened and I was literally like 15 my memory is kind of like foggy from that time just because I was like doing so much and like booking a lot and yeah, wild. but I, I would say one of my favorite music scenes is, uh, in, in, interestingly enough is the state of Connecticut. I think Connecticut has a giant issue, which is it lacks music venues Yep. or it lacks a very certain type of music venue. You don't really receive many, 80 to 150 cap rooms in Connecticut. And as someone like myself, who's just like 18, just starting to make music, there's there wasn't really a lot of space for us. So the way of growing as an artist in Connecticut were like house shows, uh, which is what I said, like, like I mentioned earlier, which is how I started getting myself active in the music scene. It's like going to house shows, playing house shows, playing really random spots like a a strange cupcake store. Um, <laughs> trying to think. I booked uh, that we, one too. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I remember that. We played the village apartments in the university of Hartford. We played <laughs> in the basement of the heart school. 
We don't talk about that one though. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, bas- basically, what I'm saying is, with music and like the music scene, kids find they live with the, the cards that they're dealt, and they try to make the best out of any situation or scenario. So it was so cool being in Connecticut, where it's like you wouldn't think there's a, a like an active music scene here, where there's so many cool bands doing really weird things in the most random place that you can imagine shout out connecticut and the connecticut music scene now i live in rhode island and this place actually has so many venues there's so many venues around but i think the issue with rhode island i mean it's a pretty populated area Mm. but i don't know maybe there's just more to do or people in rhode island it's super easy to just go up to boston because it's only a 45 minute drive Mm. I would say prop like the Providence and Boston and the Worcester scenes, they're all basically one market. Mm. Because you can't really play Rhode Island and then Boston where it's only forty five minutes apart. Yeah. Cheem is playing a show on the tenth of November in Askew, Providence. I know people are coming from Boston to see the show, so Yeah, um, I think that's that's the thing too. Connecticut has that same problem a lot of the times where it's like artists won't play connecticut because they're going to play new york and boston so why should they play connecticut yeah where in connecticut it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to get get to new york and boston yeah i mean there's definitely been more you know at my job like we pride ourselves on kind of putting new haven venues on a map in a way to getting the mainstream artists to come and i feel like that does happen in providence too but you know, people do drive like I it is harder to get to Boston from here, but like I'm going there, you know, soon to see someone. I'm going to New York next weekend to see someone. Wow. We still do it. Like if a tour is not coming to Connecticut, like we'll still go. We oftentimes do. <laughs> yeah. But... Because like what else are you supposed to do? Exactly. Uh, but I was talking about this actually last night with a friend about how sometimes especially I remember a long time ago when I was like first booking shows and getting reached out to by a lot of like random touring bands who I had never heard of before who were talking about how they wanted to play a show in Hartford and in New Haven and I had to tell them why they can't do that. That's the thing about New England, like all of New England is so small, like all of our states have one market. And it's yeah. like Connecticut, if you play in Hartford, anyone from New Haven's gonna go up there. If you play in New Haven, anyone from Hartford's gonna go down there. Maybe there won't be as much Hartford people going to New Haven for the New Haven show, but like they will still travel. Like I used to drive 30, 45 minutes for shows all the time. I mean, in Rhode Island, it's not like people are playing in Providence and Newport or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you can also say they're not playing Boston in Providence because it's so close. Yeah. I think the the only state that has two in New England is Massachusetts because it has Western Mass in Boston. Um, yeah yeah i don't know i always find that so interesting to comment off that one other thing that i found which fascinated me and i didn't realize this is in september team played um six day tour with the band battle mode from Mm -hmm. boston massachusetts shout out battle mode and one of the shows was in bangor maine yeah and i'm like oh yeah that's no problem it's in maine from providence to bangor maine it's a five and a half hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's far. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Luckily, I mean, I don't want to say luckily, but 
What happened instead was a hurricane hit um, Maine <laughs> that exact day. Oh, luckily. So the show got canceled, and we didn't have oh to go. God. And, like, Gene played a, another show in Connecticut that night instead. And, yeah. and in my mind, I'm like, thank God that we didn't have to go all the way to Bangor, Maine for Seriously. one little show. Thank God there was a hurricane. I know. Thank God for the hurricane that hit only Maine. <laughs> It's so oh. easy to forget how Maine is really the far reaches of the world. If you go north enough in Maine, people start speaking French because you start getting so close to Quebec. And it oh, just yeah. becomes a completely different place, like a completely yeah. different country. Oh, yeah. I mean, like Portland compared to like northwestern Maine is like complete, two completely different places entirely where like portland is like this hip young city and then like northwestern maine is like you're in the boonies the distance between providence and fort kent maine which is like the extreme tip of the state is seven hours and 26 minutes you know where <laughs> else i can get to in that time virginia yeah <laughs> from here i can get to from here to virginia at the same amount of time to the very tip of maine it's so funny because, like, you look at a map and I feel like maps are never scaled correctly. And, like, Maine doesn't look that big. No, but it but, is. Like, just the, like, from the bottom of Maine to the top of Maine is probably, like, what, four hours? I think so, yeah. Yeah, like, at least based off of your calculations from where you are now. We're talking all about how, like, Connecticut should be getting more shows and it shouldn't all go to New York and Boston. <laughs> Meanwhile, Maine, they should be having three <laughs> like, yeah. for every tour should have three main shows just because yeah. of how Ooh. massive it is <laughs> i do wonder how many people from maine that are like in the areas i mean granted a lot of maine is wilderness and there's not necessarily a lot of people living in those areas but how many of them go to like quebec or just like go to canada for shows instead well actually new brunswick canada is probably a little easier to get to than is quebec it? from maine isn't it yeah, the, on the other side? It's on the east side. It's oh, on the it east side, but oh. 95 drives all the way to New Brunswick. Oh, okay. I don't know Canada that well. I've never been there. I would like to go one day. I literally Fun just fact. thought that it was on the other side, so that tells you a lot about my Canada knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Trailer Park Boys, I think, sets place in New Brunswick. That sounds right. I love yeah, that because I, I remember that episode where... They crossed the border to go to the miniature train museum in Maine. <laughs> like, what is going oh my on God. here? <laughs> oh, man. So this is a complete non sequitur, but I wanted to bring the conversation back to music for a second. And I wanted to ask you, Sam. So the latest Cheem record is now I'm called Guilty Pleasure. And what I wanted to ask you was about your personal relationship to the idea and the term. Because I'm seeing a lot of talk within music journalism circles and just the larger cultural conversation in general that we've kind of done away with the entire concept of what a guilty pleasure is because we're all kind of earnestly enjoying everything at this point. Like we, we don't have shame about it, but I'm just curious about how you interpreted that and what your personal relationship to the concept is. Um, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, when making guilty pleasure, to give you some backstory on it, Cheem has always been a part of the Midwest emo music scene, kind of where we we grew up and, and in a way grew out of. In this day where 
you can try to make any sort of like you mentioned like any genre of music is is kind of earnestly created or crafted but sometimes it still does feel like kind of hard to act like yourself in a scene maybe that's just the one that we were a part of it pigeonholes a very specific sound but yeah i think that was like a call of us wanting to break free from from being a, like not associated with it but like being stuck under that name and not feeling like people really want to hear our music and to, we don't really know where else to branch out so that title was uh oh we we just want to make the thing that we want to do yeah no there's no more senses of guilty pleasure which also then does lead to a new or a different discussion which is the complete destruction of guilty pleasures and i think it gets kind of very controversial i actually somewhat criticize that because i feel like a lot of people are only trying to find genres of music because of an aesthetic it still can be very tough to make something with and someone to say oh that that is cringe yeah. But, you know, I, I worked so hard on this. Like, how is, how can that be cringe? Am I cringe? Maybe I am <laughs> cringe, but I am free. <laughs> but I think, I think everyone should care less about genres and make the music that excites them. I think more bands should be willing to play with genres of music that sound different from each other. And I think Spotify makes, makes everyone kind of pigeonholed themselves under a specific na- genre where... It doesn't really have good results for bands that aren't trying to stick in the genre. So, I mean, that makes me think of, I saw a tweet the other day that was saying there's this girl that was like, I hate when they have like a totally different vibe of an artist opening for a headliner. And they're like, I don't want to see Titus Andronicus open for the mountain goats. I don't want to see Sasami open for Japanese breakfast. And I was like, you're insane because both of those (laughs) artists are good. I love Sasami. Yeah, and like also not a huge leap between those artists. Like, <laughs> no, I know. Not at all. <laughs> um, but it's also like, dude, like that's how I used to find artists was like going to shows to see the headliner and then seeing the openers and being like, whoa, they were really cool. I'm going to go check them out later or even going to see my friend's band play a show. And then the, all the other bands that played with them, it was like. I didn't know who they were. They were maybe different from them, but they were still cool. And I was going to go check them out later. Like, and that, that I think is lost with Spotify and like with the oh, yeah. and stuff is like that, like organic way of finding new music is like totally lost on people. I honestly don't know how to convince people at live shows. to like listen, listen to my music. I mean, team is like one thing, like anytime we play a show, people get really excited for it. But with five ever, We've played a lot of like opening slots for bigger bands mm. and um, it's pop punk. You know, it's, it's a one trick pony. Everyone's kind of doing the same thing. So yeah. when five ever opens for the band driveways, which is mm. this our North shore mass pop punk band from Saugus shout out driveways from Saugus mass, but it was a sold out show in Lowell mm. and everyone was there to see driveways and we're so excited to see driveways. We sound a lot like driveways. The interesting point was it was hard for us to convert a lot of people into fans that night. Even though we sound great, we had really good stage presence, we had good merch. Anyone that did come up to us were like blown away, which is cool. But it was really hard to like sell anything and make new fans that night because everyone's just so excited to see this one band, which I I get it. They sold out a, a, a really big venue. Yeah. 
no, that makes sense. I don't know. It is. It's weird. It's a weird new thing. I mean, now as like an adult, I go to shows mostly with the intention of seeing who I know I want to see. And like, I do happen upon seeing new artists from time to time. But like most of the time now I'm like going to a show and go being like, I want to like leave as soon as I can so I can go to sleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are also going to like 10 times as many shows as maybe the average person. True. true. Yeah. I do still see a lot of, I do discover a lot of artists at shows but it doesn't happen nearly as much because i feel like i go with the intention but that's why i was so mad at this person complaining because i was like just show up late if you don't want to see the opener like i I I really don't understand it i feel like the ideal show is like a charcuterie board where there's like a lot of things to sample and not just like the same act (laughs) like yeah because that's when it gets boring not to say that like you know people share genres are the same just to say that it's like personally i like to listen to several different genres of music like co-currently like not just the one thing but i don't know yeah i don't know sam when you said like pop punk it's like a one-trick pony is so true because it's like whenever we have pop punk shows the whole bill is going to be pop punk and there's a lot of pop punk bands to like go around right yeah um and it's always been this way but like every band sounds the same and they sing about the same stuff for the most part, and they have the same like riffs, general sound, or like guitar tone. <laughs> not to say that they're not each individually like making good music, because they are, but then when you put them all on a bill together, it's like this isn't interesting anymore necessarily because it's all just the same stuff. Yes, which has been um, somewhat of an advantage for team because we'll play with very specific types of bands that right. don't really sound like us, and then we show up and everyone is like, What was that? Like, I was just expecting like some twinkling or or yeah, something, right. but then I, I got like rap rock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that is definitely like you know a benefit that you guys have. It's been easier when you are an artist that has practiced ten thousand hours to make mm. sure that every any, any night that you play sounds incredible. So if I if anyone's listening to this is looking for some quick advice uh, and you want to start a band. Practice 10,000 hours before you go out there. <laughs> Trust me. Speaking of how Cheem is like a rap rock group, Cheem recently made history as being the final band listened to by the iconic Crazy Ass Moments in New Metal history before they went to prison. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't it the first band they listened to after... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, that's yeah. what it was? No, that <laughs> it was, was the... Yeah, I think the, the the joke was they were like, I'm being sentenced to 25 years. And then <laughs> the next tweet was just a Cheem song. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like, what the fuck? But it was a bit. It was all yeah. bit. Yeah. This dude broke out of prison just to listen to uh, Guilty Pleasure by Cheem. <laughs> that's how it seemed for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I was and genuinely hey. convinced that it was real also. <laughs> out there. And then I saw one of his tweets that was like, you know, it was pure coincidence that that these other guys were getting sentenced for like the same thing that day. Yeah, that day. Oh and God. they had very new metal names. Yeah. Like it could have been like, his, you know, he was like posing with a fake name and that was one of his real names or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> well, I really appreciate, Sam, you coming on here. This is really fun to do. Um, I do have one parting question for you, though, and that is, what is your Dunkin' order? Oh, uh, so it really does depend on my mood. 
but I will I will let you know what's consistent. So hmm. it's a large iced coffee with oat milk. Hell yeah. And and then there are like three moods that I have. The first one is the I just need a coffee to get through the day. So I just do large iced coffee with oat milk and that's it. Sometimes I want like a dessert. Right. But also caffeine. So then I'll do a large iced coffee with oat milk and then like two pumps of like something fun. And that's like, you know, if I'm in the afternoon and I'm just looking for a fun, sweet, exciting drink. And then the third one is I'm holding on for dear life. I only <laughs> went to, I slept for only three hours the night before and I'm 10 minutes late for work. So I need to get a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts and just get out, get my way. And that would be a large ice with oat milk, extra espresso or turbo shot. Hell yeah. I do want to put out there that when Sam and I, I think that this is when we were living together and our roommates, you know, we have a fair amount of inside jokes amongst each other that make no sense to anyone else. And one of them, which isn't even an inside, I guess it is an inside joke, but it was just Sam and Gabe, who's also in team, and Ben, who is ben. our old roommate, our friend, used to say to each other in a Boston accent, medium iced regular. <laughs> and I ordered it once because I pulled up and I was like hung over and I like didn't know what was going on and I just needed a coffee and they I pulled up to the window they're like what do you want and I was like so out of it I was like Ugh. and I said medium iced regular <laughs> and that like consistently over the past five or six years has still been like a drink that I just get most of the time <laughs> Like it's just fine, you know. It's, it's just, just like fine. exactly what you want. Yeah, and like it's a little sweet because there's sugar. When I drink hot coffee, which is like normally what I drink at home, I drink it black. Like I'm not usually a person that puts cream in my coffee unless it's like really, really hot at a diner and I need it to drink it now or something. But from Dunkin', I like only get iced coffee. And then when it there's like so the, good. when there's like the seasonal drinks, sometimes I will get like. Like the most recent with the fall flavors, I was getting like the nutty pumpkin drink. And then as soon as it hit November, they got rid of all of them. And I was devastated. Oh, because I was like, November still, you can still have pumpkin. I know. I love the fall flavors. We got to talk about Thanksgiving erasure. Yeah. It's so real. It's Ugh. so real. Like Thanksgiving exists. Like pumpkin and squash are still a vegetable that like can be consumed this month. November 1st as the beginning of Christmas season is deranged. I really, I really don't like it. I don't like Christmas. I'm sorry. Oh, I love Christmas, so I don't necessarily mind it being the beginning of Christmas season, but I also really love Thanksgiving. So, like, I get upset that there's not hype for Thanksgiving in the way that there is for Christmas. But I love Christmas because I'm fucked up. I'm crazy. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Do you ask for mediumized regulars in Connecticut? Yeah. Huh. Because you know what I mean. Growing up in Greater Boston, which is like the hub of Dunkin', in my hometown, at one point there were five Dunkin' Donuts. And <laughs> I don't know, I grew up, actually, I, I grew up in a pretty big town. There's like 35,000 people here. There's also a college, so okay, there's like yeah. ex an extra 10,000 during the, the school year. So it, it's actually a pretty big, it's a city. So yeah, there were five Dunkin' Donuts where I grew up. I forget the exact number, but for a long time, like Duncan's per square mile 
in like the greater Boston area was kind of insane. I think it, I, I'm going to look this up right now because it's like a very interesting fact yeah. and shows you how pathetic uh, <laughs> New Englanders are with Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, uh, I know that there's there's a few towns in Connecticut even where they have like a big main road going through it. Like Bristol, for, for instance, has legitimately five Dunkins like on one street. And the only reason I know is because I like was looking up a Dunkin' and they all showed up. And I was like, why are there so many? Like, Bristol's not that big and they're all on the same road. And they're like two minutes away from each other. And there's only more and more all the time. Yeah. They're constantly popping up. Like, and you could tell so early on, like shortly after they've poured the foundation, there's already the signs that it's going to be a Dunkin'. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's either a gas station or a Dunkin' Donuts or, or a it's bank. Both. Or it's both. A gas or, station yeah. and a Dunkin'. Yep. So, uh, interesting. So this is skipping the, wow. This is a very interesting fact. So this is only for Connecticut and Massachusetts. Connecticut has 0.98 Dunkin' locations per square mile, where Massachusetts has 1.35 per square mile. So <laughs> basically every mile there is a Dunkin' Donuts in Connecticut. And there is one and every square mile in Massachusetts. It is yeah. actually not true because in Western Mass, there is not as many Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Yeah. But so that... So that- calculation is not necessarily completely accurate but so, where i live and where i'm from and where i lived in connecticut so many dunkin donuts <laughs> so many and you could see actually where i'm from in massachusetts is franklin <laughs> and it's like kind of like a little north of the eastern part of rhode island and there is one really dense part of dunkin donuts in that in like that location and that's where i'm from and like <laughs> you can literally see it on a map oh my gosh when was this posted oh a month ago wow this is recent yeah this yeah. is this is accurate i'd say it's so funny that this is also just a loosely made map of the interstate highways of connecticut and massachusetts <laughs> yeah it you really is see the trace <laughs> you could see 95 going along the coast and then 91 going up wow here's a, another interesting part Rhode Island wasn't included in this graphic, but Rhode Island actually has more Dunkin' Donuts per square mile. According to a comment, Rhode Island has a land area of 1,034 square miles, and the best total Dunkin' locations that this user could find is over 150 for the Providence Journal just this year. So let's just say like 152 Dunkin' Donuts. So doing the math of that, there's 1.47 Dunkin' Donuts yeah. in like Rhode Island. Wow. I'm like kind of getting scared now. I didn't expect <laughs> it to be so many. <laughs> they are everywhere. I, it's just so funny. Like I see videos all the time of people who like, I saw one earlier today. That was like a girl who goes to college in Tennessee. And she was like, what it's like to be a girl from new England going to college in Tennessee and talking about how like everyone there loves Starbucks, but it's like up here. People love Starbucks. But I feel like everyone also, for the most part, like Duncan Trump's Starbucks by yeah like, long shot. It's, personally, it's just not also, pretentious. Yeah, personally, also this we are like so going down a rabbit hole of Duncan right now. I also like hate Duncan food. I like can't eat it anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I used so, to work there and I got scarred by all I their ate eggs. So much oh, of it. I ate so much of it for so long because I was just lazy and I would just like get it before work. But, like, literally, like, McDonald's breakfast is better. 
I mean, yeah, that's it's that's fucked up. But like fact. McDonald's breakfast is better than Dunkin breakfast, which is like you wouldn't think it would be. I'll still once in a while get a donut, even though they aren't very good or like me too. Bagel. Like what's your favorite while, donut? My favorite donut, like in general, like in the grand. No, no. In Dunkin. Oh, in Dunkin. Well, <laughs> hmm. this is like the most ridiculous answer that I think you are not expecting. But uh, I could have one too. So I just, I'm very mine, curious. My favorite one to get from Dunkin's because I don't really like their donuts is literally an old fashioned. Oh no. What? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not even old fashioned blueberry or old fashioned chocolate. No, I just don't think that their donuts are very good. So sometimes when I'm looking for something that's just like a little sweet, like that's what I'll get. Or I'll get like seasonal ones like the pumpkin or whatever. Um, did you see the spider one they did for Halloween? I did. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get it, though. I saw I it. I wanted it. I, I should have got it. I'm so sad. They had little keychains that were the spider donut on a keychain, like as little, I wanted, as like a little plushy toy. But I used to like getting Boston cream donuts, but they just aren't good. Like they aren't good, and like the consistency is so like sometimes you get a good one and then sometimes you don't. So I just stopped getting them. What is your favorite? I feel like my answer is the complete opposite, which is either the blueberry old fashioned, or the I'm sorry, I think it's blueberry glazed, which is like an old fashioned. But it's like blueberry and it's glazed. It's wicked good. And then uh, maple frosted coffee roll. Mm. Mm, I've never had one. So oh, it's I guess so I'll good. try one. Maybe I'll get Dunkin' tomorrow morning on my way to work. Yeah, so I used to work at Dunkin' Donuts during my parents' divorce. Shout out to my parents divorcing. Shut Woo! Up. Uh, worst time of my life. But <laughs> I uh, would wake up and go to Dunkin' Donuts at 6.30 every day. Worst summer of my life. But I did get some joy when I had a blueberry glazed donut or maple frosted coffee roll. Hell yeah. It's so funny. Our two guests that we've had on this podcast that are both from Massachusetts have both worked at Dunkin'. That's true. Oh, oh yeah. I think it was you and Dev. Yeah. Dev also worked at Dunkin'. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because every person from Massachusetts also (laughs) worked at a (laughs) Dunkin'. Yeah. It's like a part of the... Master's initiation. You gotta. You really need to respect Dunkin' Donuts and the food and drinks that they create and cater to <laughs> millions of New Englanders. At their density, they have to be like a top employer for the state. They must be like oh up yeah. there with the National Guard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! There's so many. You know, they need so many high schoolers slash college students to work at their Dunkin' locations. <laughs> Honestly, we need a. A flag with a stripe for them. An orange and pink stripe flag. <laughs> I, we need to make this right now. <laughs> we need to make this right now. Dunkin' Donuts pride flag. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Well, Sam, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on this podcast. Thanks and for having you, me. You are, as we talked about, one of my oldest friends in making music. Yes. Um, Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. I think it'll be 10 years next year that we've like been friends, which is insane to me. Yeah, I won't share the dirty secrets of what it was like to be a roommate <laughs> in college on the podcast. What? Like what? I said I won't share them. <laughs> what secrets do you have? <laughs> Just implying that they're there is almost so much worse. <laughs> I know. Like, what did, what did I do? <laughs> you did that. 
<laughs> I, I can't say. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, no, there, there's yeah, there's no so serious much. dirty serious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope you guys see my love and passion for the New England music scene and my work in it. So thanks for having me. Real quick, do you want to just share where people can find you, find your music, the EP when it comes out on the seventeenth? Yeah, my new EP. It's called uh, "It's All About Me." And you can find that on any listening platform that you like to listen to music on, on November 17th. Hopefully you hear it and you enjoy it and tell a friend. That would mean a lot. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Thanks Yay. again, Sam. Preach. Shout out to Gibby Chicken. Thanks again to Sam Naz for joining us. We had a, a great time talking. It was a lot of fun. And now it's time for the upcoming events. All right, Sarah, what you got? <laughs> so the only event that I have um, that I could really think of right now is that our previous guest, Pink Navel, is going to be playing a show in Connecticut Actually, he's doing a whole little tour, one of them being in Connecticut at my job at Space Ballroom with Open Mike Eagle on December 14th. Also playing in other places around, so go check out that tour. Very stoked. I had no idea this show was going to be happening when we interviewed them a month ago. It was a very like last minute ad, which is super exciting. And I'm super stoked to be able to see both Pink Navel and Open Mike Eagle. And also on the bill is Chetsky and Old Self. It should be a pretty fun night. You can go get tickets at spaceballroom.com. Don't get them anywhere else because they are trying to scam you. Good call. Deeply unrelated upcoming event. In the world of main lighthouses, there is a lighthouse called the Nubble Light. 
And <laughs> on the 25th of November, there will be a lighting of the Nubble Light in honor of the holiday season, which may sound kind of dumb because you'd be like, it's a lighthouse. Why is it not always lit? It is always lit. However, uh instead of just the main light, they have string lights bordering every part of the lighthouse and all the neighboring buildings. So during the holiday season, oh, so it's like they, they oh. light the whole thing up. And it looks like all these structures are sort of like glowing on the edge. It, it looks kind of cool. I'm, I'm looking at some pictures now. I see. I was very confused about where this was going. I thought you were going to say they like turn it off and back on again. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's, slight, it's slightly better than that. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. Most of the reason I'm bringing this up is because I really like the concept of an event that's called lighting of the nubble. Like that to me <laughs> is everything. But it actually does look kind of nice. Like, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll make it. I definitely won't because <laughs> it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. So I will likely not even be in New England for this. Oh, it does look really cool. Yeah, it, it looks nice. I recommend yeah. if you can, go watch the Nubble light up. Or just go to like your local Christmas tree lighting or something. If that's what you're into. No, don't. Go to the Nubble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you have to. <laughs> Dude, my I saw I saw a video recently of this guy who went to a Christmas tree lighting in his town. And you know, I was involved in choir and band growing up, as I'm sure you were as well. And they have both of those things perform a little bit at the ceremony in the town, at least in my town. And I know that yeah, that we did happens. That. Yeah. So, you know, you sing Christmas songs and the band will play Christmas music. And this guy went and it sounded so bad. <laughs> and I was watching it and I was like, did we sound that bad? <laughs> because I remember having so much fun. And if it was that bad, I'm scared. It is very <laughs> difficult to play music at sub-freezing temperatures. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. When I, I was in band and I had to play the flute. Or when I did the Christmas parade or was it the Thanksgiving parade? I don't know. I had to get fingerless gloves and my like the tips of my fingers were freezing off. Just beyond the physical aspect of being really cold and doing something active and that being kind of difficult to begin with. There's also the aspect of like your instrument, even if your instrument is your voice, <laughs> is going to act differently at extreme temperatures. So, I mean, you know intonation everything yeah. out the friggin window yeah but these kids these kids in this video <laughs> sounded so bad I mean, but you're, <laughs> like, also, you're 12 and they stick you out there and it's 12 degrees no no they need to do better you're, like play you're trying to play the trombone and you're just freezing <laughs> your butt off and, it's, and then you have adults leering at you because you sound awful <laughs> it's a terrible my time. favorite part my favorite part of those events, though, was when I was in the chorus and they would give us hot chocolate. I loved that. To this day, still a huge hot chocolate oh, fan. Oh, yeah. That post-winter show hot chocolate, it makes it all worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Plus, the tree looks cute. It's like, oh, that's nice. Local tree lightings are a great time. Just don't expect, like, incredible music. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the fun. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> So I have one more upcoming event, Funny Bone Records, which is an indie label based out of Hartford, Connecticut by our friend Dylan Healy, is releasing a benefit compilation on December 1st. 
It's called Spirit Link, and all the proceeds of that compilation are going to Hartford Communities That Care, which is a nonprofit that is committed to creating and supporting nonviolent and drug-free communities in which youth and families can thrive. There's also going to be a release party happening at The CAF in Hartford. That's T-H-E space C-A-F. That is also on December 1st at 7 p.m. And I'm really excited to hear everything on the compilation. There's a lot of amazing artists. There's a lot of amazing New England artists, specifically Xanders, Figurine, Greetings, just to name a few. And also, I'm going to have a song on this compilation under my moniker, Groundskeeping. So that's exciting. And also a little bit of a self-plug. But yeah, you should really consider buying the CD. It's up for pre-order right now or coming through to the release event. It's going to be a great time, and it's for a really good cause. Hell yeah. This is not something we usually do on the show, but I wanted to give a quick little shout-out of a recent project that was released on October 27th. Both Connor and I's acquaintance-slash-friend, Luke, who is from the great state of Maine, released an EP under his project One Pound Yes, uh, called Revo, and it is so good. It is a fantastic EP that everyone should go listen to. 100%. I literally have not been able to stop listening to it. I'll put it on when I'm like driving, especially at night. It literally like makes me feel like I'm in a video game, <laughs> like a driving video game, like in the best way possible. So go check that out. Other than that, I think that's all we have for this week. So thank you for tuning in as always. Make sure to check us out on Instagram. We don't really post on there except for when we release new episodes because we both have busy lives. Mm-hmm. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope I yeah, hope it's I a hope great it's good. holiday. And say no to Thanksgiving erasure. I, it, it's not time to start doing Christmas stuff until like a little bit after Thanksgiving. I don't know. I, I already say no I, I already, to Thanksgiving erasure. I, I love Thanksgiving. I Just truly do. No I love it so much. Erasure. It's probably-